Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Michael Christie at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, it is my privilege to begin our, or continue our series, sorry, on the Heart of Kings, looking at kindness. And it's a bit of an interesting one for me because as I looked into it a bit more, I just got this sense that kindness is a bit of a hot topic for our, our world today. Um, one of the reasons for that is that there's been a whole bunch of research and studies done recently in medicine, in psychology, where they've started to unpack what are the benefits of regularly doing kindness. So these fields traditionally looked at what goes wrong in people's lives. Why does sickness come up? Why do bad things happen to us? Where does disease come from? But they shift their attention a little bit now to the positive things that keep us regularly healthy, both physically and mentally. And they've taken a closer look at kindness, and that's been one of the things they've found to help. So the, the research is starting to show that, uh, and it will appear on the screen shortly, that kindness is the most important predictor of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. You know, they often say communication is the key, but kindness is also a factor. Kindness has been shown to reduce stress, anxiety and depression because it releases this this hormone called serotonin, a feel-good hormone that works to uh, give a sense of satisfaction and well-being in our minds as we go about doing kindness to one another. It also has been shown to uh, reduce the risk of heart disease, to make your heart healthy because another hormone gets released called oxytocin which lowers the blood pressure And so they think now that kindness, uh, regularly doing it, is a factor in keeping your heart healthy. So eat all the cheeseburgers you like because kindness will keep you well. No, don't take that advice. I'm not a doctor and I (laughs) don't recommend that. For the same reason, oxytocin also helps with uh, inflammation and uh, other problems associated with that. Uh, those listed up there included. Uh, and this is what my research is saying, so <laughs> if there's any doctors in there, forgive me if I've gotten it wrong. But these are the things that the studies are starting to show, at least, that kindness has benefits for our lives, physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, the Bible's been saying it for 2,000 years, and now we've got the science to prove it. Isn't that cool? The other thing that's happened as, as the science is starting to show that kindness is good is that the world itself, our culture, our society has started to, to search for kindness. You know, people are so sick, and I'm one of them, of seeing the bad news stories every day, every week, you know, on our news sites, on TV, on social media, you know, we get so bombarded with the negative that there's been this kind of shift in people where we've started to say, hey, we need something good in our lives. We need something that's attractive, something to hope for, something to encourage us because of the drudgery of life out there, of all the evil. And so it's looking for an antidote to the problems. And kindness has been one of those things. And I say that now because there's these sort of kindness movements that have started up. There's one called uh, a rake Uh, random acts of kindness everywhere and these guys just go around encouraging people to be kind you know Ellen DeGeneres who has her own chat show finishes every uh, show with saying be kind to one another you know there's um, a world kindness now day 
uh, World Kindness Day each year with the hashtag Make Kindness the Norm. And I don't know about you, but my uh, Facebook and, and social media streams are constantly bombarded with these viral videos of people doing random acts of kindness. And uh, I saw one the other day, you might have seen it, of a guy called uh, Leto Mason, I think it was, and he uh, is present when this, he overhears a, a teenager, uh, you know, kind of down and out about the fact that he can't afford expensive shoes, and so he goes and buys shoes for this boy, and 22 million views this video had. You know, and what I'm trying to say is that there's going on in the world right now, out there, outside these four walls, and you're probably one of these people because there's a deep longing of the human heart to experience kindness. You know, we want the connection, the help, the being noticed, the being loved that kindness displays. And so for us as the church, it represents an incredible opportunity for us to bring Not only kindness itself, but the revelation of who God is. Because kindness isn't just a random act. It it doesn't just offer that temporary feel-good moment. It's a reflection of the nature of God, who he is. And when we as his people come to know his kindness to each one of us, it not only has the power and ought to transform our own lives, but it spills over, it cascades like a waterfall onto those we meet. And we see a bit of this at work in our scripture today, which comes from 2 Samuel 9, uh, 1 to 13, and Emily's going to read that for us. Thanks, Em. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machiah, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machiah, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore, you, restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table." Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, 
and all the members of Zeba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Great. Thanks, Sam. Last week, if you were here, Dan spoke about the rise and the fall of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And we saw that when Saul uh, followed the wrong voice, when he disobeyed God, everything for the nation and for himself began to unravel and God had to go and find someone else to lead his people rightly. And so 1 Samuel tells us that the Lord started looking for a man after his own heart to become the leader of his people, to do as the Lord desired, and David ends up being this man. As we move into 2 Samuel, in the first eight chapters leading up to our passage, uh, it unfolds the story of David actually becoming established as the king of Israel by God. And it really kicks off with the death of Saul and his son Jonathan during battle. And you see up there, sort of how, just to help you connect the dots, because it gets a bit lost with all these names, particularly the long ones. But Saul had a son, Jonathan, who was his pride and joy. Jonathan was also a close friend of David, but he passes away with Saul in battle. And Mephibosheth is, uh, is Saul's grandson and uh, part of this story. And no doubt part of my battle in trying to pronounce it right as I go on. But, you know, what happens over those first eight chapters is Saul's family that's left, uh, the one up there, Ishbosheth, becomes king and then implodes, basically. There's civil war and over time, David becomes king over the whole of Israel. He reunites the kingdom, Judah and Israel together. And for the moment, there's peace and stable government for the first time in a long time. And one of the first things we see David do, one of the first two things he does, is that he brings the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, to Jerusalem, to the capital, where God can be worshipped freely by the nation. But then the second thing he does is show kindness to Mephibosheth. And so there's just a few things about this kindness that I want to unpack because David's kindness reflects God's own kindness to us. And the first thing I just want to talk about is that kindness is really an active response to the kindness God shows David and each one of us. David says in verse 3 there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Not his own kindness, not some concocted up thing, but God's own kindness. And the word show there in the Hebrew literally means to do, to make, to accomplish. Kindness, hesed, or I pronounce that terribly, means loving kindness, goodness, favor, mercy. So he's saying someone I can actually do kindness to, accomplish goodness to, display the love of God to. And you know, the first thing to, to note is that it, It's not just, kindness isn't just good intentions. It's not just positive thoughts towards someone. It has to be acted upon. Kindness is being carried out, being performed, actually being expressed in the life of another. And you know, this uh, was a moment of clarity for my own life a little while back because I realized that very often I moved to, not very often, that's making myself sound better, but there are times when I am moved to reach out to someone, you know, send a text, make a call, 
go to someone, visit someone, or to, to see someone who looks like they're down and out, and you want to do something for them, you're moved with kindness or goodness towards them, but you get distracted, and you get busy, and it falls by the wayside. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But when I noticed that in my own life, you know, it, I felt convicted because it's no good to have just good intentions. That doesn't actually help anyone. It's not actually reflecting the heart of God to anyone. You know, there was, uh, I think it was St. Bernard once said, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, you know, it may not be that extreme, but he's making the point that kindness is not just to be <laughs> indwelt, it's to be expressed, it's to be lived out. And so if you struggle like me sometimes to, with getting caught up in the business of life, what I've started to do now is just when I have those moments but I, I am busy, I just put it in my phone at a time when I know that I'll be available. I put it in my calendar as a notice for a time where I'll be free and then I um, act on it at that time when it comes. And, uh, you know, it's not spontaneous, so it doesn't necessarily feel as... But it's, it's still making the point, isn't it? The point is that we do kindness, we show it, we make it come alive to people. Notice, too, in this story that David doesn't just wait for the need to fall into his lap. He goes out, he seeks, he asks the questions, you know, he calls people to his court. Where is Saul's family? He calls Zeba in as a former servant of the family. Zeba, isn't there anyone left? Can't I do something? He asks the questions. He seeks out the opportunity to be kind. You know, we can't just sit back ourselves and let the world float on by as it does. We're called to find those in need, to serve them, to be kind to them, show them love. And you know, part of the reason... David takes that step to go out, to make that effort, to seek the opportunities, is because it wasn't just, kindness isn't just forcing yourself to do something nice. Oh, better go and do this. No, it's, it's, it's that heart that responds to the knowledge that God has treated you the same way, that God has shown you his kindness. And as that permeates your life and becomes your conviction, you want to do the same. You know, David had seen God save his life numerous times. He'd seen God provide his every need. He'd literally taken David from the sheep pastures to the throne. David knew deeply the kindness that God had shown him. And out of that knowledge, out of that reception of God's own heart, he passes it on to Mephibosheth. The second aspect of kindness here is that it's given and extended even to the lowly, to those who, who might even be shameful or considered undeserving by the world's standards. You know, Mephibosheth was down and out. He was the worst of the worst from a societal perspective. He was lame, crippled, not by his own fault, but had suffered accident, which in the ancient world was a sign that something had gone wrong. You'd done something wrong. You were inherently evil. His name even meant from the mouth of shame, one who scatters shame. This is Mephibosheth. He'd lost his parents. He was poor, hidden away. He was broken, afraid, and ashamed. And not only that, if that wasn't bad enough, relationally to David, he was an enemy because David now had 
the place on the throne that Mephibosheth himself would have otherwise had. He was an enemy in the world's eyes of David. And you know, what normally would have happened in those times in the ancient culture is when a new family or new power rose to government, what they would do is go out and completely wipe out every other member of the old order. They'd exile them, they'd imprison them, they'd kill them because they represented a threat to their own government, to their own rule and reign. But David doesn't do that even though Mephibosheth himself seems to have expected it. He says in verse 8, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? It's the statement of a broken man and of a man who has no hope, has nothing left, knows he's at the mercy of this king who would otherwise kill him. He knows his deep, deep need. And I wonder in your life, do you, do you know your own need? Do you, do you know that before God you are as destitute as Mephibosheth was before David? Have you known your need of a saviour, of mercy, of grace? And instead of killing him, David picks him up basically by his boots because he knew that he could never, ever have deserved from God what God had given him. And he passes on the same measure of kindness to this potential enemy. And you know, this is where God's kindness radically differs from human kindness. There is a difference. I've been watching a show called uh, Brain Games on Netflix with my kids, and uh, it's good fun. But what they do in one particular episode is consider the idea of morality. And they do this experiment, starting with a female actress. And the female actress is uh, well-dressed. She looks normal. She's presentable. And they have her walk along in a busy area and then suddenly stumble and fall onto the ground. And what they're trying to test is whether people that see this happen will come to her aid. And if they will, how long it'll take. And uh, pretty much every single time, within 10 seconds... People came and uh, helped her up, asked if she was okay, and uh, showed the kindness to this stranger. They then do the same lady, same experiment, but this time she's dressed terribly. She's got shabby hair, she's uh, unkempt, and uh, they have her kind of wobble around and then stumble. And this time, no one. In the same place, different people this time, because the time had elapsed, But no one came to help this woman. They did the same thing with an older gentleman, again, reasonably well-dressed, looking the part, walking along, stumbles, lies on the ground. And again, people come and help him. Then they do the same experiment, but this time he's got a beer bottle in his hand as he lies on the ground. You know, the implication being he stumbled because he's drunk and no one comes to help him. You know, that's human kindness at work. But God's kindness is radical. It goes further than we can in our own nature and understanding, in our own fallenness. You know, the show was pointing out that each one of us tend to judge people and treat them as we feel they deserve. God's kindness 
treats us despite what we deserve. And that's what he wants us to show them. The third aspect of David's kindness I want to touch on is that he actually goes and meets the need and restores dignity to this man's life. You know, Mephibosheth, he had no money. You know, he couldn't work because he was lame. So he had to live with a friend. You know, I imagine he was sleeping on, on his friend's couch, so to speak. This Makur in Lodabar. But David comes and his kindness meets the specific need that he has at that moment. He gives him all the property that Saul and his family used to have, which David didn't have to do. He had the right to do whatever he wanted with that land. And he gives it back to Mephibosheth and he says to Zeba and Zeba's whole family, 15 children, 20 servants, you will now take care of this for him. You will earn a living for him. You will represent him, manage it for him. You will serve him. It meets his need. But he goes further than that. He allows Mephibosheth to eat at his table, the king's table, like one of his own sons. It says in verse 11. And for that culture, eating at the king's table was a sign of deep honor, of dignity. It showed everyone that you had a close relationship with the king. You were important to him. You mattered. You were worthy. And we need to know the same thing happens for God and us in the heavenlies. Matthew 6 says that We don't need to worry about our lives, what we'll eat or wear, because our Heavenly Father knows our needs and will provide for us. In regards to our spiritual need, the Word says, despite our brokenness, our sin and shame, in Titus 3, 4-7, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. God, through Jesus, invites each one of us to his table, so to speak, to show us, to show everyone, you are important to me. I have come near to you. I am now going to have close relationship with you. You were an enemy of mine, but now you are my friend. The final thing I just want to touch on in David's kindness is that he does it without any promise or really expectation of compensation or any reward. He doesn't ask for anything in return, no allegiances, no loyalties, no percentage of the profits. He doesn't even ask for a thank you. And, you know, uh, there's, um, uh, at, down at Kubi, uh, we often help out a local charity called Kubi Cares, and they, they distribute food to the, those in need in the local community. And um, I was talking to uh, the man who runs it one day, uh, early into our relationship, and uh, he just expressed, and he wasn't saying this specifically about us or me, but what he said was, You know, the people out in this community have just come to expect that when the church gives, there's strings attached. You know, this guy is delivering the food, and that's all he does. He just shows these people in desperate need 
who can't feed their own kids because of their own brokenness. And to be honest, a lot of them don't deserve it in a real sense. You know, they're on drugs or just other brokenness that causes them to not be able to provide for themselves or their families. But he says, if we don't do it, then what happens to them? You know, but the church, when they give, they give with strings attached. And, you know, it cut me up to the core and it gave me a good measure for my own heart in the future because what often can happen is when you do something kind for someone, genuinely, is that little voice comes and says, oh, he didn't really thank you enough or didn't thank you at all or... It doesn't really make me feel as good as I thought it might. Or, you know, there's that little temptation, that little heart thought that seeks to take you away from ever doing it again. And we need to arrest that and know no, kindness gives of itself freely. Freely I have received, so freely I give. Case closed. You know, when I was reflecting on these aspects of kindness up there, thinking about how we can live them out, I just felt convicted that it really boils down to that one question of whether we actually know and trust that God is kind. You know, we did this interesting thing in our home group the other week where we said, you know, when you think of God or what you know of God through Scripture and through your own experience, what are some of the the attributes that come to mind? And nobody was able to say or did say kindness. You know, do you believe that God is kind to you? Not just abstractly, in your own life day to day. Is God kind to you? When you go through hard times, when you see others that you care about go through hard times, is God still kind then? Or is God harsh, indifferent, Is he schizophrenic? Does he change from one moment to the next? Is God kind? Do we believe that? Do you believe that where you sit today? You know, these are important questions because as A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What he means is that our personal conviction about who God is, what he's like and how he acts towards us, will affect who we are and how we live. What you believe about God will affect how you respond to your everyday situations. Whether you'll meet someone in need with kindness or indifference. Whether you'll be merciful or judgmental, whether you'll be generous or withholding. And tonight I just felt like we needed to come back to that question, to that place of asking ourselves, do I actually believe that God is kind, that he's kind to me, that he's kind to this world and to others? And, you know, we need to wrestle with that. And bring ourselves to the place where it becomes our conviction. You know, it's out of God's kindness that he sent his son to die for us. You know, when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. 
and took his last breath. It was because as he did that, we received a new breath through his Holy Spirit. We received forever the sign that God is kind. The cross forever tells us whenever we fear, we doubt, we stray, we struggle, I am kind to you. This is who I am. That may be going on, but this is who I am. You live in a broken world, but I am not broken. I'm not duplicitous. I am kind, says the Lord. You know, Hosea 2.19 has this beautiful passage that I recommend you read anytime you can. I forgot to put it up tonight, but Hosea 2.19, it says, I will betroth you. I'll marry you, that means. I'll betroth you in righteousness, in justice, compassion, and loving kindness. Hesed, I'll marry you. I'll become one with you in these attributes. We need to cling fast to him. And you know, it's, it can be really difficult. When I was preparing this message, it came at a time when I'd just been overwhelmed lately by how many people I knew were suffering. How much brokenness and pain there was around me. Stuff that I can't really help in. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, just being real for a moment. God, are you kind? And it was almost as I reflected on that, that he started to point out all the little things in the other places in people's lives where I knew with conviction he and only he could have intervened. And I remembered that he'd done that in my own life. And I was reminded of the the story where the man comes to Jesus looking for a miracle for his son and he says to him, do you believe? And the man says, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And it's okay to ask the questions of God. It's okay to lament and say, why does this happen? Not to ignore that. He wants us to be broken by it. He wants us to be moved by it and question it. We should. It happens and we shouldn't let it happen on our watch if we can help it. But like the book of Lamentations, this man, this writer, sees his whole society crumbling around him. There's violence, there's wickedness, there's desolation, destruction. Everything is going wrong. And then in the midst of this cry of his heart, Lord, the woe, 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 he says, the steadfast love of the Lord. That hesed, that word is in the root. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you're struggling to know that God is kind tonight, then look to the cross. It's our constant reminder that God has sent his son to say forever, I am kind to you. And he's given us his spirit, his presence, his heart each day to say the same. I want to close tonight with a story from Tony Campolo's uh, repertoire. Tony's a a well-known minister and uh, he tells this uh, challenging story. He says uh, that there was a time when he was uh, sent to Honolulu for a speaking engagement 
And uh, because of the time difference, he woke up early one morning around 3 a.m., very hungry, and so he leaves the hotel and looks for a place where he can get a meal. And the only thing open at that time was a seedy cafe around the corner. So he heads in and takes up one of the stools at the counter, orders his coffee and his meal, and as he's sitting there, a whole group of um, prostitutes walk in, and they take up the stools around him. And as they begin talking to one another, he hears one of the girls called Agnes begin to say loudly and sadly that it was her birthday tomorrow and she'd never had a birthday party. She was turning 39. Her friend said to her, well, what do you want me to do about it? Throw you a party? Give you a cake? What do you expect? Agnes responded that she wasn't asking for anything. She was just saying Tony overheard their conversation and thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to surprise Agnes with a birthday party? So he approached the cafe owner, Harry, and learned that these girls came in every morning around the same time, 3.30 a.m., and Harry agreed that Tony could host the party at this cafe, and so he went away and made the necessary arrangements. And when word gets out somehow and this place gets packed, all these prostitutes and other people who are awake at 3.15 in the morning and uh, Harry's there with his wife and Tony and they wait for Agnes and she walks into the the, uh, cafe filled with streamers and balloons. Harry's holding a birthday cake and everyone screams out, happy birthday! Agnes is just completely overwhelmed. Tears start pouring down her face as the crowd sings, happy birthday to you. When Harry calls for her to cut the cake, she pauses. She says she's never had a birthday cake and wonders if she can take it home to show her mother. They say, of course, it's yours. And Agnes leaves then and there to a stunned silence. Tony doesn't know what to say in that moment. So as a good uh, Christian minister does, he says, why don't we pray? And uh, right there and then he and Harry... And this room full of people, mostly prostitutes, join together in in hands and prayer and pray for Agnes. This whole thing makes such an impression on Harry that he turns to Tony and asks him, what sort of church do you preach at? Tony says, oh, the kind kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. The cafe owner replies, no, you don't. If there was a church like that, I would join it. I would be there. The point of the story isn't to say necessarily that we all need to go out and throw parties at 3am for prostitutes, although maybe it is. But it is a reminder that there are people out there, there's people in here that are in deep need. They're hurting, they're broken, They're lost, they're lonely, they're needy and they're looking for the same kind of radical, undeserved, unconditional kindness that God has for them and has shown each one of us through Jesus, through his presence each day. The question is, do we know that kindness for ourselves? Have we received it? Have we known our own need? Have we accepted that God is truly kind every minute of every day? 
Do we know that in our heart of hearts? Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And as we eat and drink together, we really are acknowledging and celebrating the ultimate kindness of God, that he sent his one and only son to meet our every need so that we could have life and life to the full. That we could know that there is a God and this God loves. This God is good. This God is kind. Not just one day, but every day, forever. That Hosea passage says, I betroth you forever in righteousness, compassion, justice, and loving kindness. God is not fickle. Your circumstances might be, but he is not. In a moment of quietness and reflection, if tonight you're someone who's feels like they've lost that sense of God's kindness, then just use this opportunity to express that to him honestly. He's not surprised by it. He knows your heart. He knows his own heart towards you. Like the man coming to Jesus, just say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I believe you are kind. Would you overcome my unbelief? If you're here tonight and you've never known or trusted the kindness of God but would like to, then it just starts by inviting Jesus into your heart, asking himself to make himself known to you, to taking you by the hand and leading you each day for the rest of your life. And I know because he's done it for me with every conviction that he will do it for you. Lord, as we participate in remembrance of the life you've poured out for us on the cross, would you breathe afresh in our hearts? Would you breathe afresh the reality of your everlasting kindness to us? Would you come and invade our hearts and minds with the reality of your kindness? Bring forth to our remembrance moments in our lives where we've seen you provide our needs where we, you know, we know you've touched us. Even that you've spared us from a different life that could have been if you hadn't been there. Just come and revive in us, Lord, our conviction that you are kind so that we can show it to others. Lord, as we eat and drink, we do say that we acknowledge you we acknowledge your kindness. We thank you for it, for it. We bless you for it. And we rejoice in it tonight. We eat and drink in remembrance of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.